Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Okay, so foundations, we are in this series and we are in week seven, which is crazy. We've done seven weeks so far in Acts and we've got two left We're going up until chapter nine. I don't know about you, but this has been one of my favorite series we've done in ages. It's just one of those things where, you know, when you like read something a hundred times and then you come to do it the hundred and first time and it's like, it finally is like, oh wow, I've never seen it that way before. I've, I've never really read it like that before. So that's what it's been like for me. I want to encourage you to keep reading through. And uh, like we're doing one chapter a week, so keep reading through the book of Acts. And I promise you, you will see things that you've never seen before. So, Acts chapter 7. When I was reading this passage, it made me think about this idea of risk. Uh, I know some of you might have an interesting relationship with risk. It might be like some of you try your absolute best to avoid risk at all costs. Like you do everything you can to avoid risk. You manage risk in your life. You want to try and do things that are as, of at least risk as possible. Others might actually enjoy risk. It might be you really crave doing adrenaline-infused you know, infused things. You enjoy you know, jumping off stuff or you enjoy you know, roller coasters or whatever it might be. Some of you might enjoy the risk. It gets you going. And uh, it's interesting when you look at risk in our lives, Every single one of us will take risk at some point. We, we kind of understand this idea of risk. Like listen to what the dictionary says about risk. It says, uh, to define risk, it says, risk is the possibility that something unpleasant or unwelcome will happen. So this idea of risk is the possibility that something could happen. Okay, so it isn't like the surety, but it's the possibility that something unwelcome or something bad or something painful could happen. So when you're riding a roller coaster, the risk of riding a roller coaster is that you could die. Now, it's not very common, but it's like one of the risks of riding a roller coaster. You see the little thing, could cause death or whatever they have on the signs. They always put them right as you're lining up as well and you've got to wait for ages while it's telling you, could cause death. Or like it could be risk in a business deal or something. You, you do your due diligence and you say, is this a good deal or not? And you check the risk. Is this going to make me lose my money or is, how safe is my money or whatever it might be? And you check the risk because risk is the possibility of something going south. What I find interesting is though, as Christians, as people, we tend to take the idea of risk and take the idea of cost and we throw them together. Let me explain this a little bit. If you think about anything in life, this idea of cost is something we don't often talk about. So if you look at anything of great value in your life, usually you would say it came with a cost. Is that fair to say something of value in your life usually has a cost? There's not many really, really valuable things that we have in life that don't cost. They might not be financial costs, but cost at some point. But the funny thing is, I think it's really important for us as Christians to understand the difference between risk and cost. Listen to this. The, the dictionary defines cost as this, an amount that has to be paid or spent to buy or obtain something. 
So risk is the possibility that something's going to go wrong and cost is a, a figure or an amount or a something that has to be given in order to obtain something. See, the funny thing is we go through our lives and if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, you might relate with this because I did when, it, when I came across it, is that we often squeeze together the idea of risk and cost. Because how many of us know that there is a cost to the calling that's on your life. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to what God has put inside of you. In other words, it will cost you to follow Jesus and it will cost you to become the person that God has designed you to be. But so many of us think actually it's a risk. If you were to ask any great sportsman or any, any great athlete or anyone who has done anything of great significance in life, they will not tell you that greatness comes with the risk of hard work. They say greatness comes with the cost of hard work. They don't go around and say greatness comes with the risk of discipline. They say it comes with the cost of discipline. So if you were to look at athletes, they would say, actually, yeah, it costs me so much in life to eat that certain way or to train that often. It costs me my social life or it costs me this or that. They wouldn't say, oh, if you want to become great in your life, there is a risk. There's a potential, there's a possibility that you might have to work hard. There's a possibility that you might have to give up some stuff. There's a possibility that you might be, have to be disciplined. Because anyone who's done anything of great significance, they would never say that because it wouldn't be true. And I wonder, in our Christian journeys, how often we go through life thinking that there is a risk of a cost, or there is a risk to following Jesus. Now we know there is a risk. There is a risk in our lives for us being who God has designed us to be. But the problem is if we don't understand that there is a cost to the calling that God has given us, we can often walk around and anytime we experience suffering, or anytime we experience pain, or anytime we experience cost, we suddenly walk around like the victim, like, God, what are you doing? God, God I, I thought you were supposed to be doing something in my life. God, I thought you were supposed to be good. God, I thought you were supposed to be kind. Have you ever been there where God's told you to do something or you know that God is good and then the thing that you're experiencing isn't very good and you think, how can I reconcile these things together? See, if we don't understand the idea of cost, we're going to constantly be questioning God, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you not good anymore? And actually, I think in the Western church specifically, so in our context, we've merged this idea of risk and cost. Because it's so easy in our culture, isn't it, to be comfortable. Like we are free to believe what we want to believe. We're free to do essentially what it is we want to do, to think what it is we want to think. On the most part, say what it is we want to say. But it's not like that all the way around the world. But in our society, we have this ability to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus and decide that freely. And so many of us, and me included, have gone through our faith thinking that there is a risk, there is a possibility that this faith may cost us. So I want to look at this this morning, Acts chapter 7, because I feel like and this isn't a heavy message, this isn't a, this isn't a condemnation of anyone. I'm not saying that we're all apathetic and comfortable. This is a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us to understand what it is God has placed within us and to understand how it is that God works. 
Because I don't want us walking around like victims saying, God, why, why is life so difficult? Where are you? When actually God is present and he's moving and he wants to shape you through the things that you face. So Acts chapter 7. This is a really, really interesting passage. The, the central figure, the central like, hero in this story is a guy called Stephen. So Stephen is this guy, we met him in the last chapter in Acts chapter 6, and he was one of the ones, one of the seven Greeks that was picked to essentially be like the manager of the money, manager of like the governance of the local church. So he is one of those seven, tripping over wires. He was one of those seven. And um, it says in the passage that he was full of grace and full of power, the power of God. And then it also notes Stephen doing amazing signs and wonders and miracles. So we see Stephen, he's like pitched as this guy who's good at administration. Then the next bit, we see him doing amazing miracles. And then the next passage, we see that he begins to preach about the power of Jesus. And he begins to preach about all the amazing stuff that God has done in his life and in the church. And then what happens is the high priests of the Jews at the time, Pulls them in. We looked at this in Acts chapter 6 last week. I encourage you to go back and read it if you missed it. But they pull him in and they begin to lie about him. And they bring charges against him as though he was trying to overthrow Judaism. So this is quite a high charge. This was like a really, really big deal at the time. And again, he stands in front of the, the high priests. And he, he begins to talk to them. And it says that they just had nothing against his wisdom that the Spirit gave him. And then the more and more he talks, the angrier and angrier the high priest get. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 7, where this is like one of the longest uh, speeches recorded. And uh, Stephen begins to preach to the Sanhedrin, to the, to the court of the high priests. Okay, so Stephen is stood in front of people that could literally put him to death. And they're saying to him, you're trying to overthrow our like the holy order of the Jews, the, the way that God has set stuff up, you are trying to overthrow it. And he stands there and he does this incredible preach. So the majority of Acts chapter seven is Stephen preaching. It's supposed to be his time to defend himself, but instead he begins to preach to the high priests. So a little bit of an overview. Stephen begins to tell the story of the Jews. He begins to say, this is what God's relationship with his people was like. This is what God did. This was his promise with the people. This is how the people responded to God. And he begins to talk about all of the things that the high priest would have known in their own scriptures. He would have talked about, he talked about Abraham. He talked about all these big patriarchs, these big figures throughout the Old Testament. And he begins to say, look, this is the journey of God. And then ultimately he points to Jesus. So Stephen is using their scriptures to create one big point, one big arrow to say, this is who God is revealed in this person, Jesus. Okay, so we follow in this. So instead of defending himself, Stephen like comes out swinging, being like the whole Jewish faith, the whole thing pointed towards this person, Jesus. And he begins to show the Jews all the little places where they'd missed and all the little ways that they'd rejected what God wanted. And he begins to build a little bit of a case, not for his defense or him being right, but he begins to build a little bit of a case, I encourage you to read it, for why the Jews, why the high priest were missing what God was doing. And he even says, you are missing this just like your forefathers missed this because the story of the Jews was time and time again, God revealed himself. And Israel ran away, did exactly the opposite. And then they came back 
and then God redeemed them. And then God revealed himself and then they ran away and did something wrong. It was this constant cycle. And Stephen presents this back to the high priest. This is the story of our forefathers and this is exactly what's happening now. And then it's funny, he begins to then actually accuse his accusers. So he is stood there with the threat of death. People could literally put him to death and instead of defending himself, he begins to accuse them of rejecting God. It's a crazy story. Like Stephen is, is an absolute, like confident, bold guy in this passage. Because this was the one moment you'd expect him to kind of be like, look, I wasn't doing that. And that's not what I meant. And that isn't really what that was about. But instead, he just goes full on. This is the story of God. And this is what this means and should mean to you. So he begins to accuse him and say, you've missed, you're stubborn, you've missed it. Then what ultimately happens is, They just can't take it anymore. And they drag him out of the city and they all get rocks and the whole community gathers around with rocks and they put him to death via stoning. When I originally wrote this, um, my notes, and I was going through it this morning, I'd written, Stephen preaches to the the Sanhedrin, then he gets stoned. And I was like, that's possibly not the best way to describe that. (laughs) As far as I know, Stephen wasn't on drugs. But I changed it just so you'd be happy to know. So they drag him out and they put him to death. So Stephen, Stephen dies because of him holding fast to what he believed about Jesus. So we're going to jump into the significance of this because we can read passages in the Bible right? and we can think that's a cool story. Isn't that amazing? That's inspiring faith. But we also need to understand why is this in the Bible? What does this mean? What's, what's the importance of Stephen dying in this passage? What's the importance of Stephen speaking to the high priest? So we're going to look at that, but quickly, there are a couple of themes that I want us to, to pull out of Stephen's preach. I'm not going to be able to read it all, but I want to summarize a couple of key themes because I believe it's actually really important for us to understand the context of what Stephen was speaking into because humans are humans and we, we might not be High priests, we might not be in a a court of of religion like they were, but I want to submit that you and I do exactly the same things that these high priests do. Maybe sometimes subconsciously, we're not even aware of it. Because when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, I do that too. Like, ah, I do that too. And then the, the words of Stephen ringing in our ears. So let's look at some key themes. One of the big things that Stephen was addressing was this is that God does not dwell in a specific place and he is not a respecter of places. Now to us, we might be like, yeah, that's sort of obvious. But at the time, the Jews were really, 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 like they held the land that they stood on really sacred because it it was all tied into the covenant and it wasn't wrong for them to hold it sacred. But they had this view that God only existed in the place that they were. That God only existed around the Ark of the Covenant, only existed in the temple, or only existed in these specific places. And in the Old Testament, we can see that God chose to manifest his glory in specific places. But they begin to build this view that God only existed in these certain places. And, And Stephen begins to come out and dismantle this. Hey, God does not just exist in your temples. He does not just exist in Israel. And I wonder for you and I, in our Christian journey, in our faith, how often do we limit God to these little places, these small spaces? For you, it might be God only exists on Sunday morning. Or God only exists when I open the Bible in my quiet time at home. 
Or God only exists when I'm in my car listening to the worship music. Or God only exists in these specific places. But other than that, my life is kind of void of God. And I go from devotional time to devotional time, church gathering to church gathering, just trying to get more of him. But that's not what the Bible teaches about the nature of our God. It says he is ever present. Read throughout the Psalms about how God is a personal God. He is with us all the time. The funny thing is, it's in these moments like church gatherings and devotional times and in the car with the worship music. It's nothing about the moment, but it's actually when we begin to drop our walls and let God in. And again, just like the high priest, we can have this view that God only exists in these moments, that we have to do certain things and and, and work these certain moments together for God to be present with us. But the Bible teaches that God is present with us no matter what we go through. And Stephen wanted to dismantle this because it was important. God does not just exist in your temple. So that was the first thing. And we can see that from literally verse 2 all the way through to the end of chapter 7. The second thing he wanted to pull out, which I think is really significant for us, is this. Is God can move outside of the structures and institutions in which we got to know him. This one is, the, the, the Jews would have been sensitive about this one. So in the time the Jews would have believed that God literally, the only way you could encounter God was in the temple or through the Jewish faith. The only way that God was able to be encountered was through this like, this practice. The only way that God could move was in the way that they said he could move. So Stephen begins to say to them, look, God can move outside of these systems and these rhythms that you've made. Not that the systems and rhythms were bad because God designed them in the first place, but they got so legalistic. They got so set that God can only be encountered. God only works like this. And they begin to limit their view of God again. So Stephen says, like God works completely outside of all of those things. Listen to this in verse 48. I want to read it. It says, However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Like Stephen is pointing out to these guys that look, don't get this wrong. You cannot contain God to your systems and to your understanding and to your small minds. God is infinitely powerful. He moves beyond the realms of our understanding. He moves beyond the boundaries of what we think is possible. Maybe you and I in our own lives could approach God exactly the same way. God, I I know that you like to move this way. I know that this is what you're going to do. I, I understand that this is how you're going to move in this, in this situation. God, I want you to provide for us in this way. God, I want you to speak to me in this way. You know what? Imagine if we treated human relationships like this. And you, you go and you tell, I don't want you to talk to me any other way than this way. I don't want you to do anything other than this way. There's no relationship. Stephen was addressing God moves beyond the boundaries of your understanding. Don't hem God in with these these small ways. And again, not that the ways were wrong because it was the system that people connected to God, but they got so caught up. I want to encourage you this morning, don't hem God in with these ideas and these systems and think that he cannot move beyond them because he wants to. And the final thing is this, like I said before, the third thing that is like a real key theme throughout this is Stephen just demonstrating 
that God was speaking to Israel, that God was moving and giving them opportunities. And they rejected God time and time again. And maybe for you this morning, maybe for me this morning, we need to take a look at our lives and think, I wonder how many times God spoke or God nudged or God said, and I decided to do it my own way. Or I decided to push him back or change the way in which he wants to move. It's funny, it says in, uh, I think it's 53, it says, in verse 53, Stephen just says to them, look, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. You've resisted the Spirit of God. He calls them stiff-necked. In other words, you're so stubborn and set in your ways that you cannot hear the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore. I don't know about you, but the, the words and the voice of Stephen should be ringing in our ears. Because I know for sure I've been called this. I could be called this in my own life. You're so stubborn and you're so caught up that you miss what God is doing. Maybe today is a day where you actually got to think, maybe I've been so stubborn and held on to what I think God's doing that I've missed what he wants to do today. Maybe this is a moment of letting go of some of those things. Because ultimately... The best outcome here for Stephen was for them to, because it says they got cut deep. It says that the Holy Spirit actually moved them. You know, when you just feel like, ah, yeah, I should really do that. You know what it says in this passage that the high priest did? It said they covered their ears like two-year-old toddlers. They covered their ears so no more truth could get in. Don't let that be a picture of the church. Don't let that be a picture of your life that God is breathing and speaking and moving and we're there like, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to do the right thing anymore. It's too difficult. Let's not let that be a picture of our church. Not that it is because I believe that it isn't. I believe God is speaking and moving and I'm proud to be in a church that wants to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But he says, you stiff-necked people, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. I never want that to be said about me. I never want that to be said about us, that we resisted the Holy Spirit. So those are some of the themes that Stephen was sort of pulling out of the high priest. He was, this was a big moment. He was like addressing like thousands of years of the Jewish religion and faith. This is a crazy moment. We have to understand how significant this was. So what happens is the, the high priest, they hear this, they can't take it anymore. They put their hands over their ears. It even says that they gnashed their teeth. In other words, they were, they were like angry. They were angry people. One, one commentary says this was the most undignified thing that a holy person could do. Gritting their teeth, cursing them. Didn't want to hear anything about what Stephen had to say and then they dragged them out and usually in these moments they were dragged out by their hair out of the city and the whole community gathers together Mostly out of fear because they didn't want to go against the high priest. And they all get rocks and they stone him to death. And this is a brutal, brutal death. I don't know about you, but it does not sound like a way that I would want to go. It is a brutal death. It's humiliating in front of the entire town or city. Using this moment to take out their frustration and their rage and their hatred on this guy. The funny thing is, he could have avoided it. You think about this, Stephen could have actually avoided this moment. He could have avoided what it would have looked like for him to stand up straight. He could have gone, actually, that, okay, I can see what you're saying, high priest. That's not really what I meant, but I get you. I understand why you might have taken it like that. And you know what? Yeah, I won't, I'll do it somewhere else. 
Like he, he could have been like, I'm going to stand up strong. And then like, have you ever been in one of those, those conversations where someone says like, what would you do if like someone had a gun to your head and everyone comes up with these mad creative ideas of what they would do. And this is one of those moments for Steven. He could have been there and been like, right, am I more effective? You know what I mean? Like breaking down the odds. Like, am I more effective if I stay alive and then I begin to preach the gospel secretly? Would that be a better idea? That wasn't Stephen's conviction. Stephen's conviction was to be bold, to be unashamed, and to stand up for the message and person of Jesus at the cost of death. He understood this wasn't risk. This wasn't a risk. Maybe these guys are going to throw rocks at me. I'm going to die. It was going to happen. He had this choice. Do I stand up for the truth? Do I stand up for the person, the resurrected Jesus? Or do I find a different way out? And find a different word other than diluting myself. Or find, find a justification for what this would look like to bend the knee. So that's the story of Stephen. That's, you can read it. We can understand it as a, as a narrative. This is what happened. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that this exactly blow by blow happened. But what's the significance of this? Why is this so important for us to understand this story? Well, I believe there's two things. There are two reasons why this is in the scriptures and why this is super significant for us as a church and us as Christians today. The first one is this, to demonstrate the cost of following Jesus. This is in this scripture narrative to demonstrate to us the cost of following Jesus. And the second thing is to demonstrate a kingdom principle. To demonstrate a kingdom principle of the relationship between suffering and growth. The relationship between suffering and growth. We're going to look at these two things real quickly. So, did you know there is a cost to following Jesus? Like I said, anything of value in your life, there is a cost. And if you want your faith to be vibrant and real and have depth, it's going to cost. So let's look at some ways that it will cost us in our life. If you're sat here thinking like you're on the edge of becoming a follower of Jesus and you're maybe you're new to this, I don't know, and you're thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to know about cost just yet. Well, this is important because if we don't understand cost, we're not going to have this relationship that is genuine and authentic. So the first cost to us as, as followers of Jesus is this. We have to die to ourselves. The first cost, the first thing that we will do when we become a follower of Jesus is we hand over our right to do what we want. We hand over our right to believe what we want. We hand over our right to do things based on what we feel. And in, instead, we choose to follow Jesus and be obedient to the way he wants us to live. So it is a death to ourselves. We are saying, I'm going to turn away from all the things that I want to do. It comes at the cost of sin. We have to sacrifice sin in our life in order to follow Jesus. Now, that might sound like simple. Obviously, of course. But how many of us know it is difficult? It is a difficult thing for us to decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Even though I really want to do this, instead, I want to be obedient to Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, there is a cost. And it starts with our desire to live the way we want to live. Another way it could cost us is some relationships or friendships. I know in my life, there's been friendships I've had to distance 
because I know this isn't healthy for me. This isn't pointing me to being the person I've been designed to be. I need to distance myself from this relationship. I need to go up to them and say, excuse me, uh, you are unhealthy for my spiritual development. Don't be, don't be those Christians, right, please. You just need to, hey, I'm going to go over here now. I'm going to follow what God wants for my life. And I'm, because some people, like you, the people you surround yourself with have such an impact on your soul, have such an impact on your development as a Christian. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, you will have to sacrifice some relationships and some friendships. Not all of them. And I'm not saying you can only be friends with Christians because that's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. There are some Christian people you probably need to distance yourself from. Okay? So you might need to sacrifice some friends, some relationships, some environments, or some hobbies. The passage in the, in, in the Jesus talks about you have to carry your cross. It's this image of like carrying this burden, this message of Jesus. But this is the thing about carrying our cross is the cross does not fit in every room. There are some places that we cannot take ourselves into, our faith into. Again, I'm not saying that don't do mission. I'm not saying, again, only surround yourself with Christians and good people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are some environments in your life which you need to sacrifice for the sake of being a follower of Jesus because they are pulling you away from who you've been made to be. It might cost you your reputation. It might cost you some money. Let's spend two seconds on this. So many people say, yeah, but God doesn't need my money. Yeah, he doesn't need your money. Everything is his. Everything in the earth belongs to God. But to be a follower of Jesus requires us to be generous and generosity costs us. So no, God doesn't need your money. But to be a follower of Jesus, the outflow of our faith, the outflow of our freedom is generosity, which costs us. So it's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us effort. And then at the most, it's going to cost, maybe not for us, but quite a real cost of being a Christian is your life. Josh, if you could flick up a, a picture up here. I want to introduce you to two friends I met this week, some new friends of mine. Uh, you can see on the side screens if the screen isn't working. So this is Sanaz and Hesem. Now these two I met on Tuesday at a conference in Birmingham. And I wanted to share their story because this is, I was studying this passage and I met these people and I'm like, I have to talk about these two people. So... Hassan was a, both of them lived in Iran. They're both Farsi-speaking Iranians. And they were both Muslims from birth. They grew up in Islam. They, they memorized the Quran. They were devout Muslims. Now, Hassan, the, the guy here, he went to school with some Christians. Now, he always said that he, he liked them. They were nice people, but he always thought they were a bit weird and misguided. And at the time, it wasn't really an outlawed thing to be a Christian. It was just a little bit frowned upon. So he starts to go through life, and when he gets a little bit older, he meets Sanaz, and they get married. Now, Sanaz was saying that she would wear like the full hijab, like where you could only see her eyes, and she was really, really, really devout Muslim. Both of them would look down upon Christians, and they would, that was just their culture. And uh, Hassam, he had this crazy diagnosis of cancer, and uh, now, if, if for those of you who know Islam, they believe in Jesus. They call him Isa. And he is a prophet, just like any of the other prophets that we would like, Moses or Abraham. And they believe in all of those. 
And uh, Jesus has some special giftings in, in the Quran. And, and basically, they always knew about Jesus, but he was just one of the prophets. In fact, it was blasphemy to, to elevate Jesus to being anything more than a prophet. So anyway, one day he, he gets this diagnosis. And one of his friends who happened to be a Christian at the time, now Christianity is beginning to be a little bit outlawed here. It's frowned upon. It's, it's a little bit dangerous. One of his friends say, why don't you pray to Jesus? And he said, I don't believe that Jesus can do anything. Like, you know, Muhammad and Allah, they can do, they can do all that. I'm going to carry on with the way I'm going. So he ends up in significant debt. And he was telling this story, and you want to see, it was like someone staring into the sun. He had this wonder and awe in his face. And it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. And uh, he, he began to, to really feel desperate. The cancer diagnosis was getting worse. Life was in a really bad state, and Sanaz was very broken and hurting. And she, she had a good relationship with her family, but she was, she was hurting. And... Uh, he, he begins to think, okay, if this Jesus guy, if this Jesus guy is really who he says he is, then I'm going to try it. So he says to God, and he prays to Jesus, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, not who I've read about you in the Quran, but if, if you are who you say you are and you are the son of God, I need you to help me. And... He goes through this crazy moment where he experiences the presence of God like he's never encountered before. And he goes to his doctor and the doctor basically sent him away and said, there's something wrong, you don't have cancer. We can't find any trace of it at all. So he has this life change moment, follows Jesus, becomes a Christian. And Sanaz is a little bit like still, still wearing the full hijab, like fully devout Muslim really confused about what's going on, but feels even more broken and isolated and hurting. And uh, they end up in a really bad financial state and they end up in a hostel. Now he's like sort of secretly a Christian and there's like a big underground church. In fact, the underground church in Iran right now is one of the biggest in the world. And she's in this hostel and she said she's in the, the top bunk of a hostel. And she's in this moment, she was... She said she was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day just to cope because she was anxious and she couldn't keep her hands still. And it was this crazy moment. And she said, God met me in the top bunk of a hostel. And it was like this feeling of glory just met her in this little hostel and her life changed in a second. And she said she, she never went back to the cigarettes. She never, this is an amazing story already, okay? But then check this out. They have a one-year-old daughter. They're in Iran. Christianity is illegal. They meet Jesus and then they begin a six-month journey to travel any way they possibly can with a one-year-old daughter to get out of Iran because there's so much persecution. Their pastor was in jail and he was in jail for five years being tortured every single day. And check this out. They thought they would put him in prison because it would see a curb on Christianity. He begins to see people getting saved in the prison. He begins to preach the gospel of Jesus in the prison and people are getting saved and he's training pastors in the prison. So you want to see these two talking about their faith. We made this six-month journey so that we could protect our child to flee because Christianity was illegal. And I sat there listening to this like, whew, how easy, how easy is it for me to be a Christian in this country? 
I can decide one day I'm feeling this. I can decide another day I'm not so much feeling this. These people followed Jesus knowing full well that their child could be taken from them, that they could be murdered on the street, that they could be thrown in prison. This happened. This is recent. This isn't like historical stuff. This was in the last several years. But you know what was most beautiful about this is the joy in their face as they, as they spoke to us and told us about Jesus has changed my life. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow God. And they made this six-month journey to get to the UK. And, uh, and the mad thing is now they are pastoring a church of Iranians over in Greece from the UK. And the church is growing. There are huge numbers of Iranians getting baptized over in Greece. And the stories they were telling us, and just in, in the light of the cost that they could have that they could have had to pay their own lives, despite that they were aware of the goodness of God and who he was. And the crazy thing is this, in this passage about Stephen, I, I felt I wanted to share these two. I, I was so inspired, and I know I'm running over, but this inspired me to think, you know what? We have such an opportunity in this country. We have such an opportunity to be unashamed and bold and free and walk in who it is God has called us to be. And the cool thing is this. It says it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do it. It says in verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And Sanaz and Hassam talk about the Holy Spirit in their life that he sustains and he encourages. And when we didn't think anything could get worse, and it did, he sustained us. And they traveled with a one-year-old for six months. Crazy, crazy story. So there is a cost to following Jesus. And the second thing is there is a relationship between suffering and growth. So Stephen, he was called the first martyr. Martyr is just someone that is put to death because of a religious belief. Now the North African theologian Tertullian says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of Christianity. What does this basically mean is this, when the enemy thinks it is crushing the church by killing Christians, it is the very catalyst to the growth of Christianity. It is the very growth of the spreading of the gospel. Like you try and, uh, try and kick like a, you know when a dandelion is in its seed form and it's those little things that people blow. I'm sure there's a name for it, I don't know it. If you were to kick it and think, okay, this little dandelion is dead, in the very action of you trying to kill it, you are actually multiplying it 30 times what it just was on its own. And this is the emphasis of, of the story of Stephen, the significance of Stephen. The high priest thought if we can put Stephen to death, then that'll be the end of the church. But actually in putting Stephen to death, we'll see in Acts chapter 8, it was the very thing that made the church blow up, spread all around the world. Suffering in your life, lots of things in your life which you think, God, can you deliver me from these things? Could be the very thing that shapes you to be more like Jesus. The very thing that shapes you to be more like him. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you know God has called you to or some things in your journey that you're just like, I don't know if I've, if I've got that in me. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to really put in the work for this. God has placed things inside of you and there is a cost, but the Holy Spirit is available to walk it with you. I just want to encourage you. Do not count out the things in you that seem like they are dying. 
as long as they are in the hands of God, they are in the perfect place. So as I come into close, get the band up. Stephen has this moment at the end where they're just about to stone him and he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing there. And uh, this beautiful picture of Jesus stood beside the Father, welcoming into heaven. Some of you might be like, I don't know. I don't know about the cost thing. What would be the, what's the benefit of, of paying this cost? Is it not just easier if I don't follow Jesus, then I don't have the cost? Surely that's right. What has this God ever done for me? Well, Jesus paid the ultimate price. It was the ultimate cost. That those who were far from God can now be in relationship with him. Because Jesus came and he lived and he died and rose again for you and me. So we could have freedom. Let's not take this gospel for granted. Let's not take this freedom and this joy and this relationship with Jesus for granted. It says Jesus was stood up. Usually in the Bible it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But in this passage it signifies this idea of Jesus standing. Like a standing ovation. Like I'm pleased. I'm championing you on. Now maybe you in your life might never be put to death for your faith. But I promise you there will be cost. And I want you to remember that picture of Jesus stood up. Like a, like a congratulations, like a well done, you're doing it. You're doing this for me. There is hope, there is restoration, there is purpose found in us living and being the people that God has called us to be. But there is cost. And when you encounter cost, I want you to imagine Jesus interceding, speaking to the Father on your behalf and calling you forward. In a moment like this, Stephen should have experienced terror. He should have experienced fear. What? He stood there completely peaceful with almost a glint of joy and glory in his eyes. Although as though something was going on far bigger than what was happening. So I want to encourage you, God, God can use, God can use some of the costs in your life to shape you. But he's in it with you. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.